Hello and welcome to the Farmer Forum podcast. I'm your host, Editor-in-Chief, Jonah Comstock. Today, we're going to be talking about cancer vaccine technology. Uh, specifically, we're going to be talking with the leading team from TransGene. I have with me uh, TransGene CEO, Hedy ben Brahim and Chief Scientific Officer, Eric Kemener. It's so great to have you both on the show. Hello, Jonah, and thanks a lot for having us today. Hi, to everyone. So, uh, Hedy, why don't you tell me a little bit about um, TransGene and, and um, how you guys fit into the, the, uh, the pharma space and, the, and this cancer vaccine space and a little bit of your history there. Sure. Uh, so we are a biotech company uh, focusing on, on oncology. And our mission is really to bring new therapies to, uh, uh, to cancer patients. And our technology is unique because we are using viruses to attack cancer. Uh, so we have two platforms, uh, that cancer vaccine and oncolytic viruses. And I'm sure we'll go into, into more detail about the programs. Uh, so we have a deep understanding of the science uh, to optimize viruses to to benefit to cancer patients, uh, and we develop them, and then we, we manage clinical trials to prove the benefit it brings to, to patients. And we have four products that are in clinic right now. And um, Eric, do you want to talk a little more about the kind of scientific underpinnings? Oh, yes. Uh, so the idea of using viruses, of course, is to exploit their, their biological properties. There are many properties that we can use to, uh, to make drugs out of uh, viral vectors. The first one is, of course, to rely on their immune properties, uh, the fact that they uh, could uh, mobilize at large the innate immunity, the boost the innate uh, and adaptive responses, and we have a good knowledge and we can manipulate those responses by engineering the viruses. The second point is that uh, we can use those viruses to deliver uh, to the lymph node or to the tumor very large payloads like large, large antigens. Uh, cytokines or whatever boosters might be helpful uh, for the anti-tumor response and drive the immune system against the tumor. Uh, and I would say second is that we have a very good understanding on our viral vector in order to, to develop um, safe but efficient technologies. So let's lay a little bit of groundwork about um, this field, and then we can talk about some of the new um, stuff you guys are working on, including uh, some of your, your data and your presentations out of ASCO last month. Um, but first, when you talk about a cancer vaccine, how is that different than, you know, other cancer therapies? Um, and, and I know it's a fairly relative term. Um, it's, it's something that sort of has been, it's new in that, it, you know, is only since sort of the 90s. Um, so how did, you know, how did we kind of discover this space and, and you know, where did it start? Yeah, no, I, you're right that uh, viral vector-based uh, approaches are considered today as uh, immunotherapy. Part of this uh, vast world of uh, different uh, classes of uh, molecules and uh, biological drugs, also part of a very diverse mode of actions. Uh, basically, we could um, differentiate uh, large molecules that would act on, uh, by boosting or, or uh, repressing some pathways. That is the case, for example, for cytokines or, or uh, immune checkpoint inhibitors, those antibodies that have been largely promoted in the last uh, decade. There are also uh, many compounds with uh, diverse and very large uh, mode of actions, like uh, cell therapies or viral vectors that would act uh, in a broader manner in the immune system. At the same time, 
boosting, repressing, and mobilizing uh, many, many uh, pathways and components. So I would I can say that there are uh, antibodies, there are cytokines and uh, immune boosters, and there are larger uh, active principles like uh, cells. Uh, I think most of your audience would know the CAR-Ts and their progress. But viral vectors have been in the place for, for, for from the very beginning. And uh, Patty, maybe you can talk to me a little bit about from how long have you been with the company, by the way? I joined the company 18 months ago. Okay. Okay. So you're you're familiar with the history before then, but not not firsthand. <laughs> Definitely. Yes, exactly. So when we talk about a vaccine in the normal world of drugs, the difference between a vaccine and a therapy is that you give a vaccine to healthy patients and it keeps them from developing it. Is that, I mean, is that how we should think about cancer vaccines? Uh, are, is it, is that, I mean, I know like with the HPV vaccine, that's how that sometimes works. Um, or is it more of a vaccine as therapy kind of situation? Yeah, excellent question. So it's a vaccine uh, and uh, because it is going to train the immune system uh, to attack cancer. And you're right that the most known usage of vaccine uh, is to uh, to prevent uh, and to to train the body before the disease arrives. For example, we train the immune system before we are um, confronted to COVID, and when we have the virus in front of us, then we are much stronger and we get rid of it easily, and we don't suffer and go to the hospital. Here, uh, our uh, drug is a, is a vaccine because we train the immune system, but it's a therapeutic vaccine because we come after uh, uh, the cancer is here, and we want to help. The, uh, and to restore the capabilities of the immune system to attack the cancer and to get rid of it. And it's interesting that you mentioned uh, HPV vaccine because indeed they are what we call prophylactic vaccine uh, and uh, there are large uh, promotion campaign to uh, get young girls and young boys vaccinated. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't get vaccinated uh, and we can, people can get uh, cancer induced by the papillomavirus. We know a lot about cervix, but there are also other ones. Uh, and we have a product that is specific and that comes at the therapeutic vaccine when, unfortunately, the, the, the cancer is there and we help the immune system of the patient to fight the cancer. So tell me a little bit about what you guys are working on right now. Um, I know there's uh, there's a novel personalized cancer vaccine, TG4050, <laughs> um, that, that you guys was your, your main um, uh, development. You were talking about at ASCO. Um, talk to me, and I'll, I'll let either of you take this, or maybe you can trade it off. Um, but talk to me a little bit about what that is, and and why it's uh, you know, why it's it's novel, I guess, and, and different than what you guys have had before, and what's been in the space before. Sure. Uh, so I've just mentioned uh, our product in uh, against papillomavirus. That's TG four thousand one. Sorry for for the code name. Um, and the newest generation, indeed, is TG forty fifty, about which we had a poster at ASCO. It, uh, it shares the same philosophy. Uh, it's a therapeutic vaccine. Uh, so we come uh, when the disease has already occurred to try to get rid of it or to prevent it to come back, in fact, here. Um, what is very unique about TG4050, it's that the product that will be unique for each patient because it's specific to the mutation of the cancer of the patient. And we will train the immune system of the patient against the specific characteristics of its own cancer. Wow. So how is that accomplished? Yes, uh, a lot of science, a lot of work behind to make it smooth for, for the clinicians and, and the patients. And the process is that uh, a, there is a tumor sample uh, that is taken in the hospital, uh, a biopsy, so during surgery. Then we look at the genome of the tumor. And you know that uh, tumor cells uh, used to be healthy cells that have accumulated mutations in their DNA that made them abnormal and create this cancer. 
So we identify all the mutations, and that can be thousands of them uh, for a given cancer. Um, but only less than 1% are immunogenic, meaning that they can be recognized by the immune system. So we look for that needle in the haystack. And for this, we use artificial intelligence because it's impossible to do that by hand, especially if you want to do it for a large number of patients. So we have an artificial intelligence that has been designed, is managed by NEC, our Japanese partner, uh, that will give us the most relevant uh, mutations. Then we will manufacture a virus that is coding for this mutation, unique for each patient, and then it's sent to the hospital for treatment. What's the, I mean, what's the clinical workflow if you guys are doing this on a, on a patient by patient basis and how do you make it something that's, that's scalable enough to, you know, to be, I guess, profitable or, or, you know, sustainable? Yes. Great question. Today we are in, uh, in clinical trials. We are still in, in phase one. We are really delivering the plan in terms of lead time uh, and, and so on. Uh, we are already working on the plan uh, to, um, Escalate it to phase two, then phase three, and even on commercial. So uh, uh, we know that there are already some individualized therapies. Uh, uh, Eric mentioned CAR T cells. Uh, ours is much easier than CAR T cells, for example, to, to manufacture for, for different reasons. Uh, what is very important also is that it needs to, to bring a strong benefit. Uh, since it's personalized, since it will be still more complex than something of the shelf, it needs to bring a big difference. And we are very happy of the first science activities we've seen especially the one we've communicated at ASCO a month ago. So, Eric, I'm going to toss one to you about um, immunotherapy and, and cancer vaccines more, more broadly. Um, cancer attacks the, the body in, an, in a specific way that makes, uh, that makes it hard for the immune system to respond, the way that it responds to things like the common cold or flu or something, right? It has a, they, people talk about stealth cancer and, and um, ways that it sort of evades and hides from the immune system. Can you tell me a little bit about that and how you guys go about overcoming that and developing something like this? Oh, uh, you know, you're right that uh, in our generation, we uh, all learned that uh, cancer uh, should be uh, invisible to the immune system. Uh, now the, the molecular reasons are, are well known and uh, everybody has in mind the Nobel Prize from James Addison uh, and others who have discovered the clues for this uh, invisibility and we know how to re revert that. Uh, reversion can come and that's the modifications of uh, ICIs, those uh, inhibitors of uh, checkpoints uh, that you can uh, just block with uh, anti-PD-1 or anti-CTA-4. Uh, the other uh, way to um, have the cancerous detected by the immune system is to uh, come with a, a broader and more efficient uh, T-cell repertoire. Uh, and that's really what the vaccine is uh, aiming at doing, to uh, boost uh, the diversity and the number of, of relevant T cells. And so when we design the TG4050, we are particularly um, cautious in having a large diversity of uh, mutations that we know are uh, tolerated or, or edited by the immune system. And so we really want to, to um, avoid those uh, um, resistant mechanisms. The idea of uh, new vaccines is really to break tolerance and have the, the cancer visible again by the immune system. And uh, regarding the ability to have a large immune engagement, that's the reason also why we think that at some time point we might have to combine with the uh, immune checkpoint blockers to, to further boost the novo-generated uh, T-cells. So... And how does transgene kind of stand out among other cancer vaccines that are in, in the market and development, um, things yeah. like bio and tech? Yeah, okay, you're, you're right. These are the, the, the names of the competitors. Uh, and basically, they are 
two technologies today. In fact, there are three technologies uh, in competition, mRNAs, viral vectors, and long peptides. Uh, BioNTech would be on the, in the field of mRNA. Uh, the technology has been largely boosted by the, 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 COVID, the COVID period, and for sure in terms of manufacturing uh, knowledge on the immune uh, mode of action of that technologies, they have progressed a lot, and they are really uh, key competitors to us. I think that the viral vectors still have a, a room, in particular for, the, for the, their ability to uh, carry uh, large uh, antigen uh, payloads. Uh, our product is based on 30 uh, different neoantigens, so we cover a large clonal diversity for the for the tumor uh, mutational burden. Uh, and I think that uh, and we have still room left for for more if needed. Uh, so in terms of uh, diversity of the presented uh, antigen repertoire, viruses uh, might be uh, better than mRNA. Uh, in terms of um, ability to induce different uh, cell responses from innate immunity to adaptive immunities, and among them CD8, CD4, and the balance between those two types of cells, I think viral vectors have specific uh, properties that differ from mRNA. Uh, too early to say uh, who will be the big winner, but I think there is room for both technologies. Uh, we are, in fact, discussing quite often conferences with uh, BioNTech colleagues. And uh, as you might have seen, uh, we are targeting sometimes different indications, different stages of the disease, where one or the other technologies might prove some, some benefits. But I don't think that there, are, there will be a, a one-take-all winner. I think there's there room and uh, there are so many specificities and features for the cancer. And for sure, as we're doing with uh, minimal residual diseases uh, in our um, preventive vaccines for relapse, I think we are well suited with viruses to do that. Thanks, Eric. Hedy, what, what is the scope of this, um, I guess, this particular um, 4050, but also your portfolio more broadly? Like, uh, are we talking about one cancer type? Are we talking about multiple cancer types? Or how, how, um, what's the impact of this? You, you know that when you develop the product, you really have to find a particular setting to prove the added value of the product. And then you, when you've demonstrated it, then you would go and expand in other indications. So uh, uh, we are focusing today for TG4050 in uh, ovarian cancer and head and neck. Uh, we are also in, in gastrointestinal, in melanoma, uh, to name just a few indications. But our technology um, is not specific uh, to a specific cancer me mechanism. We don't target like a specific marker on the cancer. It's much more broad. So uh, we hope we can really prove it brings a different to patient indication that I've named. But typically TG4050, because it's unique for each patient, in theory, could address most of the cancer type. And what about stage? Is, it, uh, is this something that's going to be more effective at the early stage? Uh, is it, would you combine it with other therapies in a later stage? Or how, how does that yeah, we've addressed uh, quite a specific uh, need. In ovarian cancer, for example, after first line, uh, most of the patients would have a complete response, but after one year, half of them would have a new relapse, which is really dramatic. Uh, this is very high risk of relapse, and there is no treatment today. So we come after the first line to prevent this, this relapse, this one women out of two to have this relapse uh, when, when, uh, after one year. So uh, there is a strong weaker need. And we think this setting is ideal for a vaccine uh, to train the immune system to get rid of uh, or to prevent the cancer to come back and to get rid of the last traces of, of cancer that could still be there. That's really interesting. And, and I, I remember there were some other papers at ASCO along the same lines. I mean, 
this technology really feels like it has the potential to to change uh, cancer for something that's that's you know chronic and and never really gone into something you could really potentially be. And do we use the C word? <laughs> yes, David, and really we are addressing like new stages of cancer. Uh, today, there is an emerging technology that is ctDNA, uh, circulating tumor DNA, that uh, you can uh, have a, a blood sample and you you quantify uh, the the number of um, DNA from the tumor that is in the blood. And if there is a lot, it means that the cancer is massive and coming back and aggressive. And if not, it's reducing and maybe disappearing. So that is what we are tracking, and we can attack cancers at very early stage and even prove that we have an impact, even it's sometimes not even detectable by any imagery system. Wow. Um, we're coming towards the end of our time. Is there anything either of you um, want to address that we haven't talked about yet that you think is, is important or is interesting? Just one word, we really focused on the therapeutic vaccine. Uh, we're very proud of the two products, but we also have another platform that is oncritic viruses. It's another kind of viruses that we directly attack the cancer cell, but I think we need another discussion, 20-minute uh, discussion to go through that for us another day. Interesting. And so is that um, those therapies kind of complementary to each other? Yes, they attack different needs, different stages of cancer, uh, and a really different mechanism, even if it's still viruses. Eric, any other thoughts from you? No, I, th I think maybe uh, in a nutshell, I think that uh, we are happy with those programs that we have described to, to, to have uh, viral vectors entering in the field of uh, precision oncologies, uh, combined with uh, AI, tumor genomics, uh, CTDNA uh, liquid, liquid biopsies. Uh, we are surrounded by uh, the arrival of the new technologies that bring a lot in terms of uh, deep knowledge on uh, specific uh, patient characteristics and uh, immunotherapy and uh, viral vector-based immunotherapies. Uh, we'd be ready for that. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you both so much for joining me. Really, really fascinating stuff and um, and and very exciting. Uh, what what are just to, to finish off? What are you guys excited about um, for the future? Um, looking looking ahead in this technology. Thanks, Jonah, for, for your time. But a, a lot of uh, milestones, of course, short term for the programs with readouts and uh, and so on. Um, really excited. For example, we just discussed about TG forty fifty. We'll have a new poster at a new a new major congress before the end of the year. Uh, so really, today we we know we are still in phase one or phase two. So it's a limited limited number of patients, but if we can make a difference for these patients, that would be a really great for, for them and for us and very promising for the future. Awesome. Thank you all so much. Um, I, I think this has been a, a great interview and, um, and look forward to hearing more. Thanks, Runa. Bye. Thanks, Runa. That concludes this episode of the Pharma Forum podcast. You can find more information about this episode, including a download link and information about other installments in the series at pharmaforum.com slash podcast. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher, and Podme, where you can find and subscribe by searching for Pharma Forum. And don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up for daily news and analysis bulletins and to follow us on Twitter at at Pharma Forum. Thanks for listening.